This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. And in this episode, we meet the American who is running a world-class opera company in Africa. My introduction to Cape Town Opera came via a soiree at Bonhams. That's the London auctioneering house which operates at the very top end of its market. The patronage of mining mogul Mick Davis ensured an evening of high-quality South African voices, followed by a well-supported fundraising auction. Opera is an acquired taste, with those who've been bitten prepared to travel a long way to enjoy its unique treats. But with its Italian heritage... Opera is not the kind of thing you'd expect to find in a developing country with very different musical roots. At least I didn't, before meeting the American who runs Cape Town Opera. She came through to my office at WeWork on London's South Bank. My name is Elise Brunel. I'm Managing Director of Cape Town Opera. I'm here visiting a, a group of people. We have a UK Friends of Cape Town Opera Trust a charity here, so I'm meeting with our trustees. I'm meeting with various venues that we have worked with and ones we would like to work with, um, Wales Millennium Centre, uh, the Barbican, South Bank, etc., as well as some individuals who have uh, been charitably, uh, charitable donors to Cape Town Opera. So it's really to retain the ties that Cape Town Opera has had with the UK since it first came here in 2004 when it was invited to open the Wales Millennium Centre in Cardiff. Ever since then... We've managed to have a tour or concerts in the UK every year, and we certainly don't want that to stop. And I think there's increased interest in what's going on with the opera singers in Cape Town. Elise Brunel's story is an unusual one. Well, I met a South African in the States. Uh, my husband, Jeremy, he's from Johannesburg, and we lived in the States and came back to Cape Town about 15 years ago. Uh, and he uh, decided to settle in the Cape. And so he went into printing, and I went into the arts, which is what I did in the States. So I decided to start that up in Cape Town and luckily found Cape Town Opera. Brunel served as South Africa's largest permanent non-profit performing arts organization for almost a decade as its financial manager. Then in February this year, she took over as acting managing director, succeeding Michael Williams, who was poached by the Buxton International Festival, one of the leading events of its type in the UK. Williams had been with the CTO, as insiders call it, for 28 years. So those are pretty big boots to fill. But Brunel worked closely with him for some 13 years, and together they installed a sustainable business model. Well, one of the lucky things is that we've got fantastic singers. Um, bar none, I, I have never heard the level of singing talent there. So it's easy for a fundraising team to go off and ask people who want to support the classical arts, South Africa, uh, job training, whatever people's interests are to help donate towards us as a charity. That makes up about, I'd say, 40% of our income is, is charitable contributions. There's 10% of our income that comes from box office sales of local operas. And on average, over the last 60 years, uh, not 60, about the last six years, 50% uh, of our income comes from international touring. 
So we do a Porgy and Bess, the Mandela Trilogy, uh, a variety of opera productions around the world, normally touring to Europe and the UK. We market ourselves and we also have a number of touring hosts that we work with who know what our capabilities are, um, what operas and our singers can bring to foreign stages that is unique and that opera houses in Europe and the and in the UK and the Far East can't do. So for example, last year we brought our Mandela trilogy opera to the Dubai Opera House and to the Hong Kong Arts Festival. And that sounds like very a very South African story. That is a very South African story. Fascinating how the audiences were different there. Uh, in, in Dubai it was almost ex extreme, um, entirely expats who came to see it and then in Hong Kong it was almost entirely uh, the local community that came to see it. But also there is the more standard repertoire of which Porgy and Bess um, falls into that we've traveled everywhere from Buenos Aires to Madrid. We did uh, performances in London, Germany. It's been all over the world. So that's in general what we, what we do. We're working on some new productions that we need to bring out there because I think a lot of places have seen our Porgy. They've seen our Mandela. We have an African Angels choral concert, but they're saying, what next? We know that your singers can sing. It's unique. Our audiences really are interested, but what more do you have? How good are South African opera singers? Clearly the talent is there, but mm. opera also requires training, presumably. It, it does. I mean, it's the natural talent plus training. You put those two together, and, and hopefully you'll have somebody who can make their way in the world. Um, I would say definitely the first person who did that... Um, who came, who was not white, was pretty yende. She came through UCT, and she has, I remember when she graduated from there, she didn't come through Cape Town Opera, but she did sing in some of our collaborations. But when she graduated, she was given offers from La Scala, from Paris Opera, the Met, and Covered Garden. So those are the big names. Those are the big mm -hmm. names. And when all four of them come to you and say, would you please join our studio program, then you know you've got something. So since Pretty, there's been quite a few other individuals that have come up through the ranks who are singing internationally. Sunny Boyd Ladla is one. Um, and in general, we, what happens is that the singers come out of um, uh, the community choirs. They are everywhere in South Africa. There are huge national choir festivals. Every school's got a choir. Um, out of those choirs, you'll have a limited number who will make it then to their tertiary education at a place like UCT. Um, I think you can also get a degree at uh, Johannesburg at TUT. And once you come out of that, you might have a handful of six to seven to eight graduates per annum. And then they will come, hopefully, to us, to our two-year opera studio program, or sometimes jump immediately to an overseas studio, uh, which happens quite often as well. So it's, it's a small quantity of singers. But with, I think, the right identified talent at a very young age, and that's where those music teachers in, in the rural schools and township schools come in so key, the ones that know where the natural talent is, to make that step from there to getting into a university level and to follow that coursework, that's key. After that, then hopefully, you'll have a career as a South African opera singer. I trust that, like me, you're starting to see something really interesting here. Take the 33-year-old soprano Pretty Yende, who Brunel refers to. She was born and raised in the small town of Pitratif, which is in the far east of South Africa, near the Swaziland border, about as rural as it get. Yet she's graced the stages of the greatest opera houses on earth. And judging by the YouTube coverage, she's got fans everywhere.
Well, one of the clips I found from the TV show Wendy has had more than 80,000 views. Let's have a listen. Woo, gives me shivers down my spine. What talent. And good for pretty Yende. She's flying high because of her talent for a musical genre that few would associate with South Africa. But she's not the only fairy story of a kid from a poor neighborhood who's made it onto the world's biggest stages on talent alone. Baritone Lutando Kwave is famous in Swedish opera circles. Tenor Vongani Bevula is going great guns in Italy, the home of opera. And mezzo-soprano Sophie Harmson is making a name for herself in Germany. And then there's Musa Gonquana, who's doing well in the United States. Indeed, Adrian Fuchs, the Associate Artistic Administrator at New York's Carnegie Hall, is from Somerset West. So how come opera even got airtime in South Africa? Good question. It doesn't seem to be a natural art form to pop up in the southern tip of Africa, but in fact, a few decades ago, there was a gentleman named Angela Gabato who was in charge of the University of Cape Town Opera School, and he was training singers there, and as uh, we came closer and closer to the end of apartheid, he knew very well that the natural vocal talent that was coming out of South Africa was very pertinent and appropriate for the operatic art form. So because of him, um, and as well as other groups that came through the Ewan group that was in the colored community in Cape Town. Um, opera started coming on stages uh, not just for the white singers but across the, the color lines. And today we are the only opera company that's functioning in southern Africa producing full-time year-round and as far as I know probably perhaps the only black opera company as well. Now here's the thing. With all this talent in the south and all that money in the north Surely an arbitrage opportunity has been spotted by someone. Talent scouts in sport are regularly sent to developing countries to uncover unburnished gems. So an opportunity, perhaps, lies here for Cape Town Opera. Go and identify those with raw talent, train them, and then place them for a fee in the rich north. Is it happening? Not a, 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 an intentional program that we have, per se. Quite often we find individuals doing that on their own accord. For example, we right now we work with about seven schools in music education programs. They're all rural and township-based schools, and we they develop youth operas. Um, so we work with them, and then they come and see performances of ours in in the opera house. Sometimes they end up then coming to choral auditions and working as an ad hoc chorus member when we do the larger scale productions, the Carmen and the Aidas and what have you, and. Once you're in our company or you do a number of smaller productions around Cape Town, perhaps you'll end up overseas. Um, but what I'm finding more and more is people are realizing that if they've got the talent, there's nothing stopping them 
from contacting an overseas opera house and saying, can I come and audition for you the next time you're Cape Town or I'm in Europe on a tour? And more and more uh, individual singers are doing that of their own accord. We've got um, one and perhaps two of our chorus members who are taking a leave of absence to go join the Porgy and Bess uh, production at ENO, which is also going to Amsterdam. They did that of their own accord. So in a way, it's something that's happening but not institutionalized by us, much more on an individual level, which I think is fantastic. Interestingly enough, there was a, a bank that we work with who asked me about a year ago, they said, well, who's out there? Who's come through opera? I mean, can you give us examples? And I said, just give me a, give me a day. And we managed to come up with 50 people who are all gainfully employed in the operatic art form around the world. Here's the picture, here's what they did, and here's where they are now. And it was wonderful how easy that was. It wasn't just, oh, here's three or four. No, there were 50 of them I could find still working in the arts, which is fantastic. So quite a talent diaspora, and presumably yeah. they go back home. and from and South Africa. And you, mm. no, this is not something you would expect um, mm. if you think about the countries around the world that can produce great opera singers. Okay, but for a country that's known for Ladysmith, Black, Mombazo, Hugh, Masakela, and Johnny Clegg, opera seems so Eurocentric, doesn't it? Why? It's singing stories on a stage. Why is that? In languages that nobody understands. Well, certainly not many Africans understand. No, that's, no that, that, that's not true. That is definitely not true. No, they learn, they learn German, they learn French, they learn Italian. But the audiences. The audiences. Your typical audience. Yes. Who's sitting in Cape Town, Johannesburg, Bloemfontein, and when they hear opera. Yes. Uh, sung in Italian yep. or German. Uh, it, it's not that easy to follow. No, which is why there are always subtitles above the stage. So you can follow that. It, I mean, it, I remember one time, it was interesting, we did Rizalka with an opera company in Umea, New Orleans Opera, and our singers learned Czech in order to sing it, which, listening to one particular um, mezzo, she's uh, Zulu by birth, and learning, so going from Zulu to translating to English to Czech was quite a feat, and I just thought... It's wonderful that she can do that, just in the chorus as well. But anyway, there's, there really is nothing inherently Eurocentric about opera. Yes, it was started in Italy, but it is singing stories on a stage, which happens all the time, with or without musicians in the pit. Um, it's still something that's not reserved to any particular country. So if you're extremely good at that, and I find the singers in South Africa are extremely good at that, why not? Mm. Are, are there many um, operas that have been produced in indigenous African languages? There are quite a few. There definitely are. Um, I know that we commissioned, in 2010, we commissioned the Mandela Trilogy Opera that was originally in sort of half prosa, half English. It's since gone to mostly English. Um, but there is a Winnie Mandela Opera that was created a few years ago. There are other productions that are less operatic, more musical, that are produced by groups such as the Portobello Productions, um, Yamkulo, there are some. And would the international audiences be receptive to that? I think so, in the way that when it's sung in its indigenous language, obviously there's a certain quality of the music that is very unique that follows with it. The second you translate it out into something in English, you, you lose it, as you would with any opera. Um, but whether or not that's sellable, to get the people into the theatre in the first place, if you're not going to be producing it somehow in a language they speak, that's another question. So we've toured primarily in English. I don't know if the success would happen in terms of getting the audiences in 
in an indigenous language production. I think in the smaller productions, definitely. When you're, when you're playing to a 500-seat theater, that's not so hard, especially if you're marketing to an audience that's looking for diversity on the stage in terms of language. Um, that's not so hard. But in terms of the big opera houses, uh, the ones we've toured to, I don't necessarily know if that's an option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you do come to London, when you do bring the South African singers here, how well are they received? How, how, what kind of reviews do you get from the local media? I would say on average four out of five stars. Um, if I think about the reviews that I've read over the years we've been here, there's always, regardless of if, if people like the, 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 the libretto or the music, they always comment on the very powerful energy that's on the stage. There is something very deep um, deeply powerful about the way the South African singers perform and with a, a commitment and an energy that is so unreserved. It's not formal. It's not, you know, strict and held back. Um, and I think people, when they see a performance, it, it, there's a bit of catharsis behind it because you think, well, it's not a standard opera. It's not held back. It's, it's, it's quite emotive. So that seems to follow through most of the times that we're performing here. Inspirational, isn't it? Sorry I couldn't play you some more music, but, uh, oh well, copyright laws and so on. But go on to YouTube and go and Google those names, um, Try starting with Pretty Yende. I can tell you what, it's going to blow you away. But if you look back at South Africa, even in a country where the needs of the broader population are vast and urgent, where the focus is on fighting poverty and corruption, talent keeps breaking through in the least likely areas which I guess is testament to the resilience of our species and the way that talent somehow always finds a way of getting recognized with a little help from people like Elise Brunel and the Cape Town Opera. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.